Greetings, Cap fans, and welcome to episode 34 of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. I am your host, Rick Verbanis, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, partner in crime, Mr. Bob Lucius. Bob, what's going on? Yeah. Hey, uh, uh, Rick, man, I've been waiting for a week to get back into this because uh, we left off uh, last week and, and I've been itching to like finish up this series, man. Not that, yes. not that I didn't cheat and, you know, get ahead a little bit, but, yeah. uh, but this has been like a super exciting story to, uh, to talk about and explore. And uh, yeah, I've been itching, itching to get back into it. Yeah. I think the, the listeners will be too, especially if, if you haven't read the whole story and you listened to our last episode, which was episode 33, where we discussed the truth, red, white, and black miniseries. Um, we covered the first four issues and there's three more to go to finish the story. So if you haven't listened to the last episode, I highly advise you go back and listen to episode 33. Uh, and then if you have, oh, we're going to get to the, uh, the exciting conclusion to truth, red, white, and black. Oh, Bob, before I forget, uh, you know what? We've got a killer next episode. We got a great guest that's lined up. Um, and, um, you know, what? I'm, I'm excited to talk to him. You're excited to talk to him. Um, and we will, we'll let everybody know who that is at the end of this episode. We, when we talk about, uh, what's next. Oh, about pins and needles, Rick. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I know, I know who he is, All right. uh, but I'm not telling either. So no, you're going to have to listen. Yeah. Stick around at uh, end of this episode. We will let you know who our guest is going to be. And for those, um, who uh, don't remember, uh, this was a, uh, a miniseries that came out in 2003, Bob, you think it is? And it was written by Robert Morales, and the artist was Kyle Baker, who did um, the, the pencils, the inks, the colors. Um, we've got um, uh, on letters, um, it was, uh, this says um, R.S. and Comcrafts West as the letters. Um uh, Axel Alonso was the editor. And um, so the title to issue five, which is what the one we're on, is called The Math. Now, on the cover here, we've had this the same um, theme going on with each, each cover where it sees red and white stripes. And um, in the uh, and, and there's usually been some sort of uh, black silhouette of a character. And on this particular one, it is a black silhouette uh, of a, a African-American male. Um, and all over his face is all kinds of numbers. So you could see basically different types of formula. Um, so it's a very eye-catching um, um cover for sure i mean I, I you know you just don't see something like this on typical comics and then the other thing too was that the the red and white lines uh became wavy in this one and i don't know if that signifies anything in particular um it almost looks like the red has become a trail of blood uh so it, it it's a pretty interesting cover yeah you know i gotta tell you rick i've read this series a few times and uh maybe you know it's uh maybe it's my adhd maybe it's uh my lack of attention to detail i don't know but uh 
I, it never struck me before about the numbers and like what that signifies. And so maybe we'll figure that out as we go along. All right. So this one is, as I said, called the math. And, uh, you know, I'm going to give a little, um, I'm going to read the recap here of uh, the last few issues um, that they, they have here on the, uh, the splash page uh, because we are getting caught up, you know, uh, since the last four uh, issues. It's July. 1942. In New York City, Faith Bradley goes to U.S. Army headquarters determined to solve a mix-up with Isaiah Bradley's remains. They're white. A Negro officer confides to Faith the military's pragmatic approach toward unidentifiable casualties killed in a massive explosion. All remains are shared equally among the surviving families. So Faith is now resigned, quote, I won't ever get Isaiah back. Bob, I got to ask you, is, uh, is that something that's true uh, um, when it comes to uh, unidentifiable casualties killed in a massive explosion? Or you know, is that just something from back then and they don't do that anymore? Or, or, you know, let us know, let the listeners know. Well, you're talking to the right guy, Rick, because in addition to, uh, you know, to being a military guy, I also have a background in forensic science. And I will tell you that, yes, indeed, back then, there weren't many ways to identify remains, um, particularly if the, if the dog tags had been separated from the body and uh, if there was extensive damage to, you know, to the flesh, right? We've since sort of moved beyond that. And uh, now there's, in addition you know, to DNA, uh, which is sort of the gold standard, we had developed many, many different methodologies over the years. But yeah, back in World War II, if there was a mass casualty incident, uh, then, yeah, there's no way to differentiate one body from the next, or I should say one body part from the next body part. And so that was exactly how things were done. Yikes. Okay. Uh, that's some gruesome reality right there. Um, but hey, Morales is doing a good, a really good job throughout this series, uh, kind of inter interweaving various facts like that um, throughout the series. Meanwhile, Sergeant Lucas Evans and his men engage a Reich convoy deep in Germany's Black Forest. The combat spares no German soldier and killed most of Evans' unit. Only the Sarge, Isaiah, and Maurice Canfield survive. Four months later. A month later, the trio is in Portugal, waiting for a supposedly clandestine rendezvous with the man who will lead them on their next operation, a man by the name of Steve Rogers. Isaiah is confused. He's gotten a hold of a year-old copy of Captain America Comics number 1, which foreshadowed the super soldier program to the extent 80th Rogers... <laughs> Time to get the readers out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the right year. I suppose. He's gotten a hold of a year-old copy of Captain America Comics number one, which foreshadows the super soldier program to the extent both Rogers and Dr. Reinstein are mentioned. How is this possible? Evans reckons the Army commandeered the concept. Maurice complains bitterly about the attention Rogers is getting at their expense. Enter Lieutenant Philip Merritt, 
who's outraged at Maurice's disrespect. And as the two exchange heated words, Merritt lets slip that Maurice's father killed his mother out of grief before turning his gun on himself. Maurice snaps, striking Merritt as Evans and Isaiah move to restrain him. He knocks Isaiah into another time zone. Not literally, he just knocked him over a ledge. And he kills Sarge in his rage, only to find Merritt training a pistol on him. In the infirmary soon after, Colonel Walker Price has demoted an unconscious Merritt and turns his attention to an injured Isaiah, the sole survivor of the debacle. Rogers has been delayed, and what is now a certain suicide mission falls to Isaiah to execute. Price mentions Isaiah's family, and the message is clear. Once the mission is underway, Price discovers Isaiah has defiantly stolen the Captain America costume meant for Rogers. Isaiah wears it as he parachutes in under cover of the night to the outskirts of his target. He carries a shield on which he drew a double V for victory symbol. Then he starts off toward an ominous Nazi camp, Schwarzebite. Schwarzebite? Schwarzebite. Schwarzenegger. God bless you. <laughs> and and do you want to let our listeners uh, remind them what the double V for victory means? Yeah. You know, and I got to tell you, Rick, as I said, you know, every time I read this series, I, I pick up like some additional stuff, right? Some additional detail that maybe I hadn't noticed before. And one of those things in the first uh, four issues uh, that uh, sort of we, we, uh, we noted was this whole double V victory uh, insignia on, on Isaiah's shield. And that, in fact, was, that was a movement that was started by the Philadelphia Courier in 1941. And it was, uh, that, was a, that was a social movement that, that made the case that there were two victories that, uh, that we should be fighting for. One of them was a victory against fascism abroad, but one of them was a victory against racism at home. And so that double V victory was a very popular sign, particularly among African-Americans at the time, and their white allies, but, uh, but it's not something we, you know, I don't know about you, but I certainly didn't read about it or study it when I was in high school or college. And so uh, it's not no, something that, not. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, it's not something that, uh, that sort of jumped off the page at me and I had to dig in a little bit, but it's one of those little sort of details of history that, uh, that Morales has sort of taken and woven into this narrative in a way that uh, seems organic. So it's, it's kind of a cool feature, but also a very powerful one. Yeah. Yeah. And really, I, I salute you for, you know, doing the due diligence and doing the research on that, because uh, I really wasn't aware of that. I just assumed it was V for victory. Um, I didn't really get the whole double V. So thanks for the, uh, thanks for the intel on that. Okay, so now it's late at night, and we're at the the German camp. um, And there's a couple of German soldiers here. And, uh, and, and it has the, the little um, symbols that show that it's, uh, it's being translated into English. I don't know how much more of this I can take, Kurt. This is not the war I signed on for. Freddie, you should listen to what goes on at Belsen under Reisman. There's a man who can make your life hell. And just then, Isaiah comes up and he cracks the neck of the first soldier and then he uses the pointy end of a shield and he kills the next soldier all in the shadow of the night 
So then we hear a quote. It, uh, somebody else is speaking here. And this is what my husband had be, had to become. So it sounds like it's faith. And here we are in Schwarzerbeit, Germany, October 1942. And apologies to anyone from Germany who's listening and me murdering that the name of the town. But here we are. This is what Isaiah had to become. And he's standing over the dead soldiers in the Captain America garb. But of course, he doesn't have the masks. He has like a, a do-rag that's tied. And Faith goes on to say, a tireless killer, pitiless. And he is, he's just going, and each one of these scenes is pretty gruesome. He's just going and, and killing each soldier one by one with his bare hands. And she goes on to say, a stranger I never met. And there's a path of dead soldiers on his way as he makes it inside uh, one of the buildings. And he goes in and he grabs a bunch of dynamite, boxes of dynamite, one box under each arm. And he comes running out. <clears throat> and there's a huge explosion. Very, very graphic explosion with trucks and jeeps and buildings flying in the air. And then the uh, the German soldiers are uh, yelling, it's those crazy Americans, they're bombing us. But I don't see any planes. Come, we must see to the Jews, they must not escape. Alert the commander and Dr. Koch. And so there he is. Looks like he was in the commander's uh, uh, um, office and the commander's dad on top of his desk. And it looks like Dr. Koch is getting strangled. And then he goes and he picks up a, a, a photo. It looks like of the commander with his wife and, and daughter. He looks at it. And Faith goes on to say, do not lose sight of your objective, they told him. And he's going through uh, all the file cabinets and he's, he's putting down uh, sticks of dynamite uh, in various places, um, especially near uh, combustible uh, different items. And he sets a timer. And she goes on to say, do not allow yourself to be distracted by whatever you may see, they warned him. And he bursts into a laboratory. And he puts dynamites there and he looks and it's gruesome. Got to tell you, there are shelves of glass jars and each inside each one of these glass jars are heads. Most likely the, the Jewish people who were ex, uh, experimented on. And then he bursts into another room and Faith goes on to say, do not lose sight of your objective. But Isaiah looks aghast. He looks mortified. His mouth, his jaws dropped, his eyes wide. And he's staring. And there's all these tables of humans just sitting there, 
dead and and they've all been experimented on and there's then there's piles of naked bodies and he looks and and the atrocities that these uh soldiers had, had uh, and scientists had experimented on these and and we're talking adults we're talking children men women um and he and he's looking and she goes on to say do not consider what we did to you is what they didn't say. And so I guess, you know, he's thinking to himself, he knows what it's like to have been experimented on. And he has a look of anger on his face. Think of the American lives you will save. And he starts to cry as he's putting the, uh, the dynamite in various places and as he's running out, he's getting shot at. Oh, Isaiah, you just think of me and our little girl. And then when he runs out, he sees a whole bunch of soldiers. And he just lays into them. And there's a bunch of, of um, naked uh, Jewish women that are running from, from the camp, uh, from out of the, uh, you know, looks like they're being run into an area to be exterminated, but they're now running away. Isaiah, do not stop for anyone. And he's hitting the soldiers and he says, ladies, run, run and hide wherever you can. Don't anybody in there come out. And he, uh, he runs into the place that they're all running from, but he's outnumbered. So he's kind of, kind of retreating and he goes in, and he closes the steel door. He says, I've got the situation under control. And he looks. And there's all the, the, the naked Jewish people who are just looking at him. And they see him with a machine gun and a shield. And he, uh, Faith goes on to say, Isaiah, do not forget you are just one man. And the, uh, one of the prisoners says, now they send this one to attack us for their sport. Enough. And they all start attacking him. He's like, ladies, ladies, please. And then all of a sudden, the lights go off. And green poisonous gas comes from the ceiling. And all of the... Uh, the uh, Prisoners are, are starting to, to die. And he says, please, I'm trying to trying to get some leverage. He's trying to open the door, but they, they keep pressing up against him. Isaiah, you cannot save everybody. Isaiah, just do the math. And at this point, he sees the prisoners, and they're all dissolving. And coming up from these mists are all numbers that are glowing. And he sees the numbers and he falls unconscious. And he starts coughing and spitting up. But at this point, the German soldiers with gas masks are all standing around him. Look at this. It would appear they sent Jesse Owens. So Isaiah died at the camp. He, uh, Faith gets asked. Isaiah? No. Whatever made you think 
Isaiah was dead. And we turn to the last page. And Faith has been telling this story this whole time to Steve Rogers, Captain America, in present day. And she's an old lady now. The Bronx, New York, today. And that was the end of issue five. Damn, Rick. I got to tell you, that, that gave me like serious goosebumps. goosebumps. Gruesome stuff, man. That is gruesome stuff. Stuff. Um, yeah, it is. Those, uh, those tattooed numbers, you know, the iconic representation of the Holocaust victims. Uh, those were the numbers. That's what the numbers were. Yeah. And the math, right? I mean, you can't save everybody. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So here we are, um, issue six, and the cover this time, the the red and white stripes are gone. And instead, you have Isaiah in his Captain America uniform with the pointy shield. Uh, And he looks angry, and he's charging. And behind him, it's like a a burst of sun uh, with some sun rays. And the title to this issue is The Whitewash which one could believe that that's what's going on in the cover. This issue picks up where uh, Cap, in present day, Steve Rogers, is in a prison. And he looks angry. Well, look who's here. And uh, we, we see off screen. And then it cuts to a picture from the 40s. And it's uh, Lieutenant, I guess now Corporal, uh, is it Bennett? Merritt. Merritt. Yeah, Philip Merritt. And he and he's uh, he's all young and bushy eyed, and he's looking up. Just look at you, boy. Look at you. And then it cuts back to present day, actually five days ago, in the Lompoc Federal Prison in California, and Merritt is an old man and he's sitting in this, in this room and he's got some comic books on the table. Long time. No see cap murdering a federal agent conspiracy to commit acts of domestic terrorism, gun running, money laundering, racketeering, arson in the commission of hate crimes, kidnapping, selling ecstasy and metamphetamines to minors out of your chain of comic shops. What? What? Is that a dig at comic shop owners, Rick? I don't know. And on and on. You're a piece of work, Merritt. So Merritt reacts kind of ugly here. And he's like, hey, now, Cap, the Fed set me up for those drug charges. I got the best store in the Bay Area, and I keep my babies pure. I'm glad you have your priorities straight, Merritt. Agent Spinrad here was leading me to believe otherwise. Who are you going to believe, Cap? I'm a fellow veteran, like you. 
The government just picks up honest, hardworking Americans whenever it needs scapegoats to parade in front of the Zionist media. I remember you now. What? You were there when Dr. Reinstein was killed. Gotta get to work, Cap. You go make us proud. And we have flashbacks to the uh, to the scene where Steve Rogers was getting his um, super soldier serum. And Merritt was there. And so was the, uh, the, the Nazi spy that killed the doctor. And he was shot. And Steve says to Merritt, I collared the guy, but he was quick with a cyanide capsule in his tooth. But while all this was going on, someone else firebombed the doc's lab. It wiped out his life's work. That was you, Merritt. No, you, you, you can't pin that on me. And I, I heard that guy was electrocuted. You portrayed the doc and your country, Merritt. And you call yourself a patriot? How much did the Nazis pay you to sell us out? You, you got me all... Agent Spinrad, let's see if the prisoner can explain what you found at his warehouse. And he opens up a file, and there's a big photo. And there's an old Cap, Captain America uniform. It looks like the one Isaiah Bradley wore. But there's also a bunch of uh, weapons. It uh, looks like a Nazi helmet, a Nazi flag, a picture of Adolf Hitler. This ought to be good. So now we cut back to uh, 1940, was it 1942? Yeah. So now we cut back to uh, World War II, and uh, Isaiah Bradley is, uh, uh, looks like he's unconscious, barely hanging on, and he's, he's got a, a bloodied and um, bruised up face. And he hears uh, a newsreel. Captain America, scourge of the evil access. Take that, Tojo. You've just met the U.S. of A.'s new secret weapon. Here's Cap now at the press conference. They introduced him to the free world. Moments before a Nazi assassin tragically took the life of Dr. Joseph Reinstein, the government genius behind the super soldier program. Cap makes short work of his cowardly murderer. And then who do we have talking to Isaiah Bradley? but Adolf Hitler. And he's smiling at him with his hands behind his back, leaning towards him. I very much like the eagle you have drawn on your shield. And as the program's first success thus far, he vows to avenge Reinstein's death. And Isaiah says, what? Yes, I am an artist also. Lights. And the lights come on and he's in the office of the Gruppenfirmer in Berlin, October 1942. And he says to him, You have fought most violently, Isaiah Bradley. But Deutschland is not at war with your people. Allow me, please, to introduce my friend and colleague, our esteemed Minister of Propaganda, Joseph Goebbels. Private. Hold up now. What do you mean you're not fighting America? Not America, Private Bradley. You are people. 
We have no quarrel with you Negroes, you understand? I know something of your history, how brutally the Americans have treated you, enslaved you. They are barbarians. Like your, Gots like your Scottsboro boys, I too have been unjustly convicted. It is the way of the oppressor. Why do your people fight for them? Is it fear? Why do you fight when they deny you the glory of this other soldier? Private, we want to offer you the opportunity to help your people and yourself. If you stand with us, we will help free your people when the time comes, on my honor, as a fellow artist. And Isaiah looks at Hitler and, and Goebbels, and, and he just says, guys, no. My wife would kill me. <laughs> I love that line. That's my favorite line of the whole damn series, right? I know, right? That's the most honest line right there. <laughs> you know, it's not, I'm not going to betray. It's not that, you know, I don't want to betray America or let down, uh, you know, my friends, my family. It's I don't want to let down my, my, my comrade in arms. No, it's it's. I'm afraid of my wife. Yeah, those are priorities. I mean, don't get Isaiah wrong. He he believes in all that stuff, but like he, yeah, he knows he knows where the hammer lies. Yeah, Ooh, it's the yeah. wife. It always is. So we're back at the uh, the prison, and the three are sitting around a table, and it's Spinrad, the agent, Captain America, Steve Rogers, and Merritt. You know, Cap, I come from a military family. I could have been assigned to anything in the war the Manhattan Project, anything. But I chose the Super Soldier Program. You know why? Because I read the first issue of Captain America. That's why. And I figured I could volunteer for the serum myself once it gets past the initial testing stage and do my country and my family proud. Who knows? Maybe I could wear the uniform too someday. Imagine my disgust that no... One running the project cared what it meant to real Americans. Testing on swamp guineas like Mr. FBI here is all well and good. But sending them out on missions? And those guys resented you, Cap. They didn't get that America needs real heroes. They were even jealous of your costume. Imagine that. Like this country would put up with a Captain Americoon. Then it hit me like a stroke. The government would put up with it. The government was not America. It didn't care. It was run by foreigners for foreigners. And I started to follow up on what the war was really about. It was about keeping things right and pure. And we were on the wrong side. Don't roll your eyes. Europe was going through a population explosion of mongrels. Just like the USA. Hitler wanted to protect Germany from outsiders. And to do that, he had to go on the offensive. Remember? They were screwed by the Treaty of Versailles. And this is uh, the first time we hear from the FBI agent. I'm part German, Merritt. Some boast. Lots of colored GIs got tramps to put out during the occupation. There were plenty enough blacks in the fatherland before and during the war, Merritt. They were Afro-German, courtesy of German colonists that took over Southwest Africa in the late 1800s where Namibia is today. We fought for Germany in the Great War, so the Nazis were on the fence about us. Some blacks were sent to the camps, 
without colored badges because we had our skin. Others thought beneath notice, like my grandparents, were active in the resistance. That's right. Hitler complained about colored soldiers in Mein Kampf. Damien, that's fascinating. But that's veering away from this costume. The last of the colored test subjects stole it, and I got it back before... What? That's the costume Isaiah Bradley wore? Who? Don't tell me you haven't heard of Isaiah Bradley, the black Captain America. And Steve Rogers has his look of surprise and shock on his face. So this is the first time he's hearing of Isaiah Bradley. So we cut back to World War II, and Isaiah's tied to a chair. And uh, Hitler starts talking to de Gobel and in German. Mengel has asked for him. What do you think? There would not be much left of him for propaganda purposes. That's true. But the doctor may determine how far the Americans have gotten with Koch's formula. It would appear they've been successful, my leader. One of Mengel's associates had the temerity to suggest they inject this creature's blood into our soldiers. Why not Sal's blood, then, or a Jew's? I have ordered the fool to be dealt with. Who could think such deviltry aloud? Perhaps somehow Mengel could distill the serum. No, I won't have that. Then the doctor could help help me make an example of him, sterilize him, if the, the Americans haven't already, and then he could remove Bradley's limbs. And then we send him back to the Allies with a note, something like, Take better care of your pets. And at this point in the background, we see the soldiers beating up on him while he's tied to a chair. Adolf Hitler says, Excellent. Sounds like a plan. Guards, enough. Private Bradley, I have good news for you. A doctor will treat your wounds, and then we shall let you go. So we cut back to World War II. I mean, uh, so we cut back to the prison. And the FBI agent says, Every black person in America has heard of Bradley, although what happened to him is pretty much a mystery. I remember Denzel and Spike Lee were going to do a movie about him years ago, but they end up doing the Malcolm X story instead. And Cap says, still with a look of surprise on his face, well, where have I been? Don't believe any of that crap, Cap. These people are always trying to piggyback on our achievements. Hey, Cap, being in suspended animation cuts you some slack. Next, they'll want affirmative action to reclassify their rappers and basketball players as superheroes. Shut up, Merritt. Unless you know what happened to Bradley Merritt, I'm done with you. I got the costume from a Belgian collector, but I recognize it as the real deal. Stay put, Merritt. Our guard will take you back to your cell. Cap, please, one veteran to another? Think you could sign this before you go? And he holds up a, an issue of Captain America number one, volume four, which was by uh, Ryber and Cassidy. And Cap storms out. And the agent says, come on, that's how a lot of fans are. Rotten traitor. Hey, I don't want to go get into it. It's in front of Merritt back there. But my grandfather, Claus, uh, always told this story. So we cut to... 
the road to Auschwitz in October of 1942. The morning after, de Fuhrer bids Bradley a dry Avidesen, and the truck starts getting riddled with bullets, and the truck crashes. And Isaiah Bradley, he's still in chains, comes out of the truck, and there are soldiers, um, you know, just looks like the um, um, the resistance coming out of the woods, holding weapons on him. Good morning, Captain America. And that was the end of issue six. A lot of interesting stuff in there, Rick. A lot of interesting stuff. Again, Morales hmm. keeps going back to real life events. You know, the Scottsboro boys, uh, a real life event, you know, uh, out of the pages of history. And uh, anybody who reads this, hopefully it piques their interest and they're like, hey, I got to check that out and see what's going on. And if you haven't, I encourage you to do that because it's just fascinating. Morales has taken his time and done his research. Yeah, 100%. Uh, it's, a, it's a good story wrapped in some, some really good history. Um, so I got a question. Where in all of this has been Maurice Canfield? I think, uh, well, you know, it's a good question. I think the, you know, the implication is that uh, Merritt shot him, but, you know, that's never explicitly said, right? Mm-hmm. That, okay. in fact, he took the opportunity to put a bullet in, in Maurice's head after the Sarge had been killed and Isaiah had been tossed over the cliff. So, but that's never really sort of made explicit. You know, it's not made clear. So uh, there's an opening there for uh, for more Maurice, perhaps, in the future. I also think it's interesting. You know, one of the other things that uh, I don't know if you caught on it, but it's a bit of a play, right, between Cap uh, talking about the assassin of Erskine mm-hmm. uh, taking a cyanide capsule or being electrocuted, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a perennial question because it's not uh, it's not clear in some origin stories, um, the guy falls into uh, the electrical apparatus and is mm-hmm. electrocuted. And in others, Cap pushes him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, in the movies, we have the, uh, the, the cyanide capsule. So right. there's a lot of different their perspectives on how that assassin actually died. But I think it's kind of cool that uh, Morales sort of played with that a little bit in, in that particular issue. Yeah, I think it was interesting too that um, Merritt, apparently was the, the person who went and while everything else was going on, went into the laboratory and destroyed all his work. Um, because that, you know, that did, I know some, some origins have that Dr. Erskine had everything in his head. So when he died, it took it with him, but it did, you know, I mean, safe to, to assume that something was written down somewhere or somebody could go and try to redo some of the experiments, you know, that from just, you know, looking at the lab. So the fact the lab was destroyed seems like a little uh, extra, you know, makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't, you know, they don't explicitly say that, but they do show sort of merit sneaking out the back, you know, as if he's up to something. Uh, while that whole assassination is going down. But, and so that is the implication and that is what he was up to at the time. Yep. Yeah. Good catch. All right. So here we are, the last issue, number seven and on the cover, um, all those vertical red and white stripes that we've, we've seen in most of the covers has now been turned into uh, a maze. 
And so standing on one end of the maze is Captain America uh, with his back to us, Steve Rogers, it appears. And then on the other end is, it appears to be a silhouette of Isaiah and Faith. And the title to this one is The Black Vine. So we start in a cemetery and there's a, an older man who is uh, large. He's a strapping man, um, and he's crying. And it's uh, at a gravestone of Harper Price. Should that name ring a bell to us, Bob? Uh, I'm not uh, directly. I'm not sure. Uh, I think it will when we explore who this guy is at the at the tombstone at Arlington. So he uh, he looks up and he says, "Oh." And standing in front of him is Steve Rogers, Captain America. And he says to him, I have to confess, I'm impressed, Rogers. And again, Arlington National Cemetery, Virginia, two days ago. Your brother, sir? Yeah. And he's wiping away his tears with a handkerchief. He was a hero, just like you. Someone else who never had to dirty his hands with the more mundane realities of war. Shall we get to it then? Isaiah Bradley. Bradley? That's what had you on my heels the last two days? Oh, man, you had me going. For a minute there, I thought this was about something serious. Bradley is dead, Rogers. He died on the mission to Schwarzbite that you missed. I've heard otherwise. Don't tell me. Black history and white supremacist websites? Martyr or boogeyman? Those cranks call up my press office every other day trying to chisel an interview with me. Sir, I need to know about the project, and I need you to explain how you could wind up running Koch International. Actually, Rogers, it's the same story. Let's walk. A century ago, the world's ruling classes weren't very happy about how quickly the poor, the unwashed, ethnic, working poor, immigrants, what have you, were breeding. So a lot of money started to funnel towards ideas of keeping their numbers down. And for many at the top, that also meant keeping their bloodlines, homo europus, pure. Did you know eugenics was the idea of Darwin's cousin, a crackpot named Francis Galton? He defined it as, quote, the science of improving the stock. So you had what passed for a science handily addressing the issues of making anemic family trees stronger while trimming away branches of what they considered deadwood, the help. Politics don't often make for good science, Rogers, or at least the most sensible application of science. Politics is about keeping your boss happy. Before the First World War, eugenicists from around the world, primarily the Brits, the Germans, and us, routinely meant to effect racial hygiene policy. The U.S. and British governments took the early lead in the sterilization of uh, undesirables, for instance, while Germans like Hitler looked on enviously because they lost the Great War and didn't have the resources. Once he took power, Hitler sent the good doctors Reinstein and Koch to meet with privately funded 
eugenicists here in the States to introduce their revolutionary medical techniques. As a result of those meetings, Rogers, Project Super Soldier was born. And again, Cap looks a little surprised. Hold on, Price. You're saying we and the Nazis? Not Nazis. Not yet. They were just the German government then. And we were all on the same page. We sterilized the mentally handicapped well before the Germans. They modeled their program after ours. Hitler loved the American Immigration Act of 1924. It was a blueprint for keeping out entire ethnic groups and degenerates. In any event, the project started as a joint U.S.-German business venture. Koch was a successful pharmaceutical magnate, and our end found plenty of backers like Walter Arnold Williams, the serial king. Reinstein was a brilliant biologist who didn't buy into the most eugenetic guff, but he knew how to play the game. And when he war broke out again, because Deferrer couldn't keep it in his pants, the project was split in two. Reinstein chose to stay here. Koch's interest, however, remained in the fatherland. And the race was on. The whole time they're walking through the uh, cemetery, and of course, there are people there paying their respects, people crying, a funeral going on. Mengel was too territorial to share his facilities in Auschwitz, so Koch set up the German end of the project at Schwarzerbite. And you sent Bradley in alone? We had a small window. Bradley's unit had recently intercepted a crucial shipment of Koch's serum and other medical supplies, so we needed it to hit them before they could resupply and test on their so soldiers. You were stuck in the Pacific, and the rest of Bradley's unit was dead. So Bradley had to go in, and, he fulfill and fulfilled his suicide mission. He knew the deal. He was a soldier. End of story. Look, Rogers, in a perfect world, Bradley would have survived to rescue everybody held captive there. And you never know. They might have given us valuable information. Valuable information? The war was about saving those people, Price. The business of war is business, Rogers. It's about the long haul. What your exit strategy maximizes for peacetime. We didn't get into the war until it was declared against us. We wanted to mind our own business. Yeah, now you're running Koch's business. That's true. Well, my military career was effectively washed up after Reinstein was killed. The White House made certain I took the heat for that. You know... Part of the reason the SS assassinated the doctor was they were under the mistaken impression he was Jewish. Morons. He was a Lutheran. After the war, Koch's interest wound up on the American side of the wall. I was quietly positioned to run them. And once the Cold War ended, I stepped up as CEO. You're in surprisingly good shape for your age. And he smiles. One of the Unexpected dividends of war, Rogers. Yeah, I know all about that. I just got a fortune in back pay for all the years I was in suspended animation. More money than I knew what to do with. Really? Should I be offering you some stock options? Already got them, Price. Two days ago, I bought enough of Koch International that I'll be at the stockholders meeting tomorrow in New York with your service record. But th that's declassified. And after you get booted out the door, 
you'll be arrested for the murder of an army major, among others. How do you think to prove, remember your old aide-de-camp, Philip Merritt? He's a fan. And Cap smiles. So you got Merritt to turn on him. Fans will do crazy things, man. It's true. So now we're at the Bronx, New York, today. The cap's there at the gate. He says, uh, excuse me, miss. Excuse me, Ms. Shabazz? Nope. Ma'am, it's Faith. Please, come up. It's funny. I was thinking of you earlier. They get into an elevator. Actually, ever since I heard Walker Price took his life the other night. And she, they get into uh, her apartment. And there's a whole bunch of grandkids running around. Stop that foolishness. Company. And all the kids kind of stop and look up. Stephanie, turn that down. There we go. She starts putting a pot on a kettle for some tea. So you're obviously here about Isaiah. Yes, I am, Faith. What gave it away? I can see the family resemblance. Now let's let's speak to what you probably don't know. So that's how we get to the story that she's been telling this whole time. And so now we're all caught up. Sometime later. No, no, that FBI man got it correctly. Isaiah was saved. Then why would Price? I wouldn't be surprised if Walker Price ordered a pizza before he died, just so some delivery kid would waste a trip to his duplex. That man enjoyed bending the truth. Up to a point, ma'am. So, your husband. Stephanie, go see what Isaiah is up to. He's here? This is where we live. I must be more excited about your surprise than I thought. Usually I lose the burqa as soon as I walk in here. And she takes off her burqa and there she is, Faith. So you're retired? Mostly. I was a professor of comparative religion. In fact, today I started lecturing the summer semester at Hofstra University. That's why I'm making the effort to represent, you know. Given the climate towards Islam, it unsettles people. But it de-emphasizes femininity and focus attention on what I say or on what people choose to project onto me. Do you get that sort of thing because of your costume? Faith, I'll have to think that over, but I probably do. I'd like your FBI agent's contact information. His grandfather and the others saved Isaiah from Auschwitz. They hid and fed him for five months in Nazi Germany. Finally, they passed him over to the Belgian underground. Those people had ties with some black GIs who ran the U.S. Army's supply route, the Red Ball Express. And they're the ones who brought Isaiah back from behind enemy lines. And the moment he reported into command, Isaiah was arrested and court-martialed. He got life for stealing your costume. And there's silence. It's not your fault. From April 1943... Isaiah served 17 years in solitary confinement at Leavenworth. He received less than rudimentary medical care. 
and I could only afford to see him three times a year. But I was happy to see him. I spent years trying to get the army to appeal his case, or at least treat him for the fallout from the serum, or at least acknowledge we existed. Finally, I, I took to writing President Eisenhower directly, a letter a month for three years. On the day of Kennedy's inauguration, Eisenhower pardoned Isaiah, and then the government swore us to secrecy. Now here's the worst of it. The early stages of what made you? It left my husband sterile. And after so many years of confined neglect, his brain slowly deteriorated. You need to be prepared for that. He's a little boy now. He really can't even talk. My God, nobody helped you? The VA reinstated Isaiah's regular benefits, but wouldn't recognize damage done by a program that never existed. And you can't sue the government, you know. We made do. We had our one girl, Sarah Gale, and she gave us a parcel of grandchildren. In time, Isaiah regained his physical health, and in that, God was merciful. Stephanie hasn't come back, so let me check on them. You make yourself at home. So Cap kind of walks around. He, he looks at a wall of photos. And in this wall of photos is Isaiah Bradley with uh, just one famous... African-American after another. I mean, we've got um, Muhammad Ali, Richard Pryor, James Brown, Michael Jackson. I mean, uh, Nelson Mandela. I mean, you name it. I mean, there's just so many here. And then there's a couple of Marvel characters thrown in for some good Good fun. And a picture of Stan Lee. And then there's uh, one of the, the grandchildren holding a, a comic. It's called Wingman. And he's holding it and sharing it with Steve. So Steve picks him up, holds him in his arm, and holds the comic in the other. It's about a Chinese-American boy who loves comic books and dreams about a Chinese superhero. And what's his name? Your grandson? Litigious. Don't ask. You look good that way. You should have children. You know, you're still a young man. And they go into the room, and Isaiah's being uh, dressed. Isaiah, honey, company. He's been working on a puzzle. And Isaiah looks up, and he sees Cap, that there's really no emotion on his face. And Faith grabs the, the grandson out of his arms. Let me take him. You go on. Cap goes to shake his hand. Hello, Isaiah. I'm Steve Rogers. I'm really happy to meet you. I can't say enough how sorry I am for what happened to you and your family. I wish I could undo all the suffering you've gone through. If I could have taken your place... But all I can do is my duty, Isaiah, to you and everyone else. And that's why I'm here. This may be the smallest of consolations, but I believe this belongs to you. And he reaches into a bag and he pulls out that old tattered uniform that he wore that he got off of merit. And finally, we see an expression on Isaiah's, on Isaiah's face, and it's a huge smile as he, as he holds it up. 
And Faith says, mind if I get a picture of you two for his collection? Anything, ma'am. Anytime. Say cheese. And there's Cap and Isaiah Bradley next to each other. And Isaiah's got his tattered uniform on his on his top. And he's got a big smile. And in the foreground is how the, sh- the, the whole series started, which was Faith and Isaiah at World's Fair saying cheese. And it says, the end. And uh, it was dedicated in loving memory to June Jordan. And that was truth, red, white, and black. So, Bob, what'd you think? Rick, I mean, there's so much here, right? I mean, let's just, just you know, the, the, the dedication to, to June Jordan, who was a Jamaican, African-American poet, who, you know, focused on representation. Uh, and, you know, we, we look at uh, Litigious, right? The little boy who uh, is holding Wingman, the comic book about a Chinese, a Chinese boy who, uh, who's excited that there's a Chinese superhero, right? I mean, this, this is what this, this whole story is, touches on this idea of representation, sort of hidden heroes that uh, that we need to 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 learn about and uh, and read about because uh it's important for little kids to have heroes to look up to uh, mm-hmm. and so i mean it's just it's a beautiful thing but just also again you know the history right he talks about the red ball express i mean if anybody's not familiar with the history of the red ball express and what that did for the war effort in europe and who was responsible for running the Red Ball Express and getting supplies and the whole logistics train, getting the bullets, the band-aids and, uh, and the food to the troops at the, the pointy end of the spear. Google it, man, because uh, this is real history. And the whole, you know, the whole discussion of eugenics, man, like I don't, I don't know how many people are familiar with the history of eugenics programs in the United States in the 20s and, and the 30s. But it wasn't just a bunch of cranks and kooks on the margins of, of U.S. society. I mean, there were, there were multiple states, dozens of states in the United States that had laws that mandatorily uh, sterilized people that they found to be degenerate and that didn't contribute to a healthy stock of American citizenry. This, this is American history that Morales has plumbed and woven through this narrative. And it's a history lesson as well as a superhero story. And a- anybody who is wants to learn about their country and wants to be entertained should look at the story and dig deep into what the lessons are in addition to the entertainment factor of, of truth. Yeah, and, and to add to that, you know, when you said if they want to be entertained, uh, <laughs> you know, certainly informed um, and perhaps maybe even a little bit appalled of, uh, of some of the things that uh, our country was doing uh, and not, not all that long ago, uh, you know, within, you know, within our parents' lifetime. Um, so it, uh, it certainly is, um, it was a great story. It was a great story because not only was it entertaining and not only did it add to the Captain America mythos in a very, um, I would say sincere and heartfelt way, but it did raise some interesting questions and it did raise some interesting ideas of, um, uh, and, and ultimately uh, did help with, um, 
with inclusion, you know, and, and things like that. So I, I'm, uh, yeah, I, I've really enjoyed the story. It, 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 like we said in, in, the, in the last episode, when we kicked this off, it wasn't for the faint of heart. It wasn't going to be an easy read. Um, but I, I certainly think it was um, uh, a deserving one. Yeah. And, you know, and the thing is, uh, the thing about this story, and I won't say this, a, I mean, I don't say this a lot about a lot of stories. There are, there are a handful out there that when you read it a second or third or fourth time, you get something new out of it. And this is one of those stories that has that sort of complexity and depth, the layers that you get something new out of it every time. And I, and I got to go back to one of the questions, because I think it's just a fascinating, a fascinating question, because it's something that we've explored on the Captain America comic book fans uh, Facebook group time and time and time again, right? And Faith, Faith talks about wearing the burqa, right? She's lecturing at Hofstra University. Mm -hmm. And she wears it because it de-emphasizes femininity and focuses attention on what I say and or on what people choose to project onto me. And she asks Steve, she says, do you get that sort of thing because of your costume, right? And we see that a lot, right? We have these discussions in the Facebook group because different people project different things on what Captain America's costume means and what Captain America means. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can have people who come at it from very different perspectives and very different ideas about what Captain America stands for. Even though we basically, as Mark White, Dr. Mark White said in our interview with him, uh, we can agree on the core principles, but maybe we interpret those principles in very different ways. And so we project what we think Captain America should be or what he, we expect him to be. But that may not necessarily be what Captain America, what Steve Rogers thinks he is, even though we're talking about a fictional character here. Right. But, but we know, you know, through this 80 years of history that there, there are things that Captain America stands for, and yet we still project ourselves onto him in, in our own way. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point, Bob. Um, and I would, I would say, you know, in this particular story, you know, uh, a good example of that was uh, how Corporal Merritt, you know, looked at, at Cap. Right. And he kept referencing, you know, we're, we're fellow veterans, you know, like, like that's supposed to be, be all the difference, you know, right. like, you know, I mean, you, you as someone who's, you know, served in the military for, for many years, um, you just, it's just like any other part of life. Right. right. I mean, yeah. there's, there's, there's the good and there's the bad and, you know, there's a lot of us in, in between. Right. So, right. Um, you know, just because you're, you know, a, a veteran, you know, and, and thank you for your service didn't mean you were a great person. Right. And so, yeah. um, so that was an interesting, you know, uh, part as well, because certainly there was a lot of people in the military that, you know, did well in this series. Um, and if you, if, but they were generally the ones that no one liked and no one wanted in, you know, uh, right. I mean, it was Isaiah and, and his troop, that basically were, for the most part, there was a couple of, you know, bad eggs in there, but for the most part, were were you know, you know, good soldiers. Whereas, you know, some of the commanding officers were, you know, very scrupulous. You know, you know, just, you know, had bad, bad intentions, and you know, the, the government that came in. I mean, it was it was a mixture of of characters. So. I know I'm probably going on a little tangent here, but uh, no, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that, you know, and I will tell you, I've said this, you know, uh, repeatedly through our sort of exploration of truth that um, this, this series, you know, it bears rereading 
because that question that Faith poses to, to Steve Rogers is not one that I picked up on the first half a dozen times that I read this book, right? It's only in a careful rereading uh, after you get sort of over the hills and the valleys of, of the major story points, which can be shocking at times, that you can then sort of get down to the lower levels of the narrative and, and what the author, what Morales is, is asking. And, and I think, you know, that, that's, that's where the really powerful, the, the power of this story lies is in those hidden layers that uh, you don't get the first or second pass. You only get it from reading it again. And so, you know, as I said at the very get-go that, you know, I found, honestly, I found the art a little bit of a turnoff and it's a little bit of a stumbling block. You know, they use that, they use that in religion quite often when you're talking about, you know, certain aspects of, of theology, that things can be a stumbling block to understanding. And art can be a stumbling block to understanding sometimes. Uh, but you got to like, you got to press on, man, because uh, if you don't press on, you're not going to get the beauty of what comes through from the writing and the art in time uh, gels with the writing in a way that you may not have appreciated uh, just as a, as you know, in your, in your first sort of delving into the sure. story. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. It's an excellent point. All right. Well, I think, I think we've, we've said everything we want to say about this series. Um, and we, we encourage everybody to go pick it up and read it if you can. I know it's going for a, a, a high dollar right now. Uh, thanks to the Captain America and Winter Soldier uh, Disney Plus series. Uh, see what I did there? I didn't say Falcon and Winter Soldier. I said Captain America and Winter Soldier. Okay. I like um, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, the, but anyway, we hope, uh, we hope we, we at least, if you if you can't get it, we we at least, you know, got you through the story. So now you know what happened and and uh, how it fits in with the the mythos of of Captain America. So Bob, um, we have an exciting next episode, and uh, can't wait to to get into this. But we have a guest, and um, we have a guest uh, that um, I would say I'm interested in talking to on many levels. Uh, but well, we just might as well say it, right? It say is, it, say it. It's editor Tom Brevoort. <laughs> now, if you don't know Tom Brevoort, shame on you, uh, because uh, Tom is the current editor of Captain America. Um, so he's been on the series, uh, you know, uh, this whole volume. Uh, he's been on Captain America for for quite some time as well. I mean. Um, he was the editor uh, back when Ed Brubaker was on the series. Um, and he has also been the editor for, like we just covered a couple uh, episodes ago, we covered uh, Captain America, um, Man Out of Time. You know, he was the editor on that. Um, so he's worked with a ton of, of top talent over the years. In fact, he's been with Marvel um, since 1989. He was, a, he was an intern uh, back then. Um, and he's been with them ever since. Uh, he's been, he's held the title of executive editor. Um, and then I want to say, oh gosh, 20, 10 years ago, I think he was promoted to senior vice president of publishing of Marvel Comics. So uh, this is a, uh, you know, big name guest and we're, we're happy to have him on. We'd love to talk with him uh, about the current Captain America series uh, and get his thoughts on some of the feedback that the series has had um, you know, over the, the last few years. And now that it's been announced that uh, the writer Coates is leaving, what's coming next? 
Well, I got a feeling Tom Brevoort knows. So uh, let's see what uh, we can um, what we can find out in our next episode. Yeah, and I mean the other thing is, uh, you know, it's easy to like think of these guys like, oh, editor in chief, uh, vice president of publishing. Uh, this is just a suit, right? Tom's not just a suit, man. This oh, guy, no, this not. guy, this guy's a he's a lover of comics, man. And I've like, you know, the thing that really blows my mind is that Tom is like he's active uh, in social media, right? And mm-hmm. uh, he is he's actively involved in sharing his thinking and love of comics on social media. But he has a blog that's extensive too, where he he like talks about his love of comics and and like not just broad brush abstract stuff. Like he gets down into the weeds. This is a guy Mm -hmm. who lives and breathes comics. So uh, this is going to be, this is going to be a great interview. Going to be a great conversation. Can't wait for it. All right, Bob. Well, as always, it's been fun wrapping cap with you. Yeah, this is a, this is another great one. Uh, This has been a lot of fun to go over truth and, uh, and, and again, I hope, I hope the listeners appreciate it, uh, enjoy it, get a little something out of it. And, and I hope they, uh, they, they feel, uh, feel they have the time and the energy. Please share those thoughts with us because we're interested to hear what you think. Absolutely. All right. Well, he's Bob Lucius. I'm Rick Verbonis and you've been listening to the Captain America comic book fans podcast. 